Section two of Rough and Ready, or Life Among the New York Newsboys by Horatio Alger Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tory Falder. Chapter three A Sudden Move. Presently the door was opened, and James Martin entered with an unsteady step. His breath was redolent with the fumes of alcohol, and his face wore the brutish, stupid look of one who was under the influence of intoxication. He was rather above the middle height, with a frame originally strong. His hair and beard had a reddish tinge. However, he might have appeared if carefully dressed. He certainly presented an appearance far from prepossessing at the present moment. Rough and Ready surveyed his stepfather with a glance of contempt and disgust, which he did not attempt to conceal. Rose clung to his side with a terrified look. "'What are you doing here?' demanded Martin, sinking heavily into a chair. "'I'm taking care of my sister,' said the newsboy, putting his arm protectingly around Rose's neck. "'You'd better go to work. I can take care of her,' said the stepfather. "'Nice care you take of her,' retorted the newsboy indignantly. "'Don't you be impudent, you young rascal,' said Martin with an unsteady voice. "'If you are, I'll give you a flogging.' "'Don't talk to him, Rufie,' said little Rose, who had reason to fear her stepfather. "'I must, Rosie,' said the newsboy in a low voice. "'What are you muttering there?' demanded the drunkard suspiciously. "'Where are my sister's new clothes?' asked Rough and Ready. "'I don't know about any new clothes. She ain't got any as I know of. She had some this morning, some that I bought and paid for. What have you done with them?' i've sold em said martin doggedly his assuming ignorance ceasing that's what i've done with em what did you sell them for demanded the newsboy persistently what business has she got with new clothes we haven't got enough to eat i'd like to know if we haven't got enough to eat it isn't my fault said the boy promptly i do my part towards supporting the family as for you you spend all your money for rum and some of mine too "'What business is it of yours?' said the drunkard defiantly. "'I want you to bring back my sister's clothes. "'What have you done with them?' "'You're an impudent young rascal.' "'That isn't answering my question.' "'Do you want me to give you a flogging?' said Martin, "'looking angrily at our hero from his inflamed eyes. "'Don't say any more to him, Rufus,' said little Rose timidly. "'You ought to be ashamed of yourself, "'stealing a little girl's clothes and selling them for rum,' "'said the newsboy scornfully.' This was apparently too much for the temper of Martin, never very good. He rose from his chair and made a movement towards the newsboy, with the purpose of inflicting punishment upon him for his bold speech. But he had drunk deeply in the morning, and since selling little Rose's clothes had invested part of the proceeds in additional liquor, which now had its effect. He stood a moment, wavering, then made a step forward, but the room seemed to reel about, and he fell forward in the stupor of intoxication. He did not attempt to rise, but lay where he fell, breathing heavily. "'Oh, Rufus!' cried Rose, clinging still more closely to her brother, whom she felt to be her only protector. "'Don't be afraid, Rosie,' said the newsboy. "'He won't hurt you. He's too drunk for that.' "'But when he gets over it, he'll be so angry. He'll beat me.' "'I'd like to see him do it,' said the newsboy, his eye flashing. "'I'm so afraid of him, Rufus. He wasn't quite so bad when Mother was alive. It's awful to live with him.' "'You shan't live with him any longer, Rose.' "'What do you mean, Rufus?' said the little girl with an inquiring glance. "'I mean that I'm going to take you away,' said the boy firmly. "'You shan't live any longer with such a brute.' "'Where can we go, Rufus?' "'I don't know. Any place will be better than here.' "'But will he let me go?' asked Rose, with a timid look at the form stretched out at her feet. "'I shan't ask him.' 
He will be angry. Let him be. We've had enough of him. We'll go away and live by ourselves. That will be nice, said little Rose hopefully. Somewhere where he cannot find us. Yes, somewhere where he cannot find us. When shall we go? Now, said the newsboy promptly. We'll go while he's lying there and can't interfere with us. Get your bonnet and we'll start. A change of residence with those who have a superfluity of this world's goods is a formidable affair. But the newsboy and his sister possessed little or nothing besides what they had on and a very small bundle done up hastily in an old paper on which Rough and Ready had been stuck, that is, which he had left on his hands, contained everything which they needed to take away. They left the room, closing the door after them, and went down the rickety stairs, the little girl's hand being placed confidingly in that of her brother. At length they reached the foot of the last staircase and passed through the outer door upon the sidewalk. "'It's the last time you'll go into that house,' said the newsboy. "'You can bid good-bye to it.' "'Where are we going now, Rufus?' "'I'm going to see if I can find, and buy back, your new clothes, Rose. "'We'll walk along Baxter Street, and maybe we'll see them hanging up in some shop.' "'But have you got enough money to buy them back, Rufus?' "'I think I have, Rose. Wouldn't you like to have them again?' "'Yes, Rufus, but it is too much money for you to pay.' "'Never mind the clothes. I can get along without them,' said Rose, though it cost her a pain to give up the nice dress which had given her so much innocent pleasure. "'No, Rose, I want you to wear them. We are going to live respectably now, and I don't want to see you wearing that old calico dress.' Little Rose was dressed in a faded calico gown, which had been made over not very artistically, from a dress which had belonged to her mother. It had been long in use and showed the effects of long wear. It had for some time annoyed the newsboy, who cared more that his sister should appear well-dressed than himself. He knew that his sister was pretty, and he felt proud of her. Feeling as he did, it is no wonder that his indignation was aroused by the conduct of his stepfather in selling his little sister's new clothes, which he had bought out of his scanty earnings. While they had been speaking, they had walked to the end of the block and turned into Baxter Street. Baxter Street is one of the most miserable streets in the most miserable quarter of the city. It is lined with old clothing shops, gambling dens, tumble-down tenements, and drinking saloons, and at all times it swarms with sickly and neglected children, bold and wretched women, and the lowest class of men. One building, which goes by the name of Monkey Hall, is said to be a boarding house for the monkeys, which during the day are carried about by Italian organ grinders. It was in this street where Rufus had reason to believe that his sister's clothes might be found. The two children walked slowly on the west side, looking into the old clothes shops as they passed. "'Come in, boy,' said a woman at the entrance of one of the shops. "'I'll fit you out cheap.' "'Have you got any clothes that will do for this little girl?' asked the newsboy. "'For the little girl? Yes, come in. I'll fit her out like a queen.' The shabby little shop hardly looked like a place where royal attire could be procured. Still, it might be that his sister's clothes had been sold to this woman, so Rough and Ready thought it well to enter. The woman rummaged about among some female attire at the back part of the shop and brought forward a large-figured delaine dress of dingy appearance and began to expatiate upon its beauty in a voluble tone. "'That's too large,' said Rough and Ready. "'It's big enough for me.' "'Maybe you'd like it for yourself,' said the woman with a laugh. "'I don't think it would suit my style of beauty,' said the newsboy. "'Haven't you got anything smaller?' "'This'll do,' persisted the woman. All you've got to do is tuck it up so, and she indicated the alteration. I'll sew it up in a minute. No, it won't do, said the newsboy decidedly. Come, Rose. They went into another shop where a man was in attendance, but here again their inquiries were fruitless. 
They emerged from the shop, and just beyond came to a basement shop, the entrance to which was lined with old clothes of every style and material. Some had originally been of fine cloth and well made, but had in course of time made their way from the drawing room to this low cellar. There were clothes of coarser texture and vulgar cut, originally made for less aristocratic customers, which perhaps had been sold to obtain the necessaries of life, or very possible to procure supplies for the purchase of rum. Looking down into this underground shop, the quick eyes of Rose caught sight of the new dress, of which she had been so proud, depending from a nail just inside. There it is, she said, touching the newsboy on the arm. I can see it. So it is. Let's go down. They descended the stone steps and found themselves in a dark room, about twelve feet square, hung around with second-hand garments. The presiding genius of the establishment was a little old man with a dirty yellow complexion, his face seamed with wrinkles, but with keen, sharp eyes, who looked like a spider on the watch for flies. "'What can I sell you today, young gentleman?' he asked, rubbing his hands insinuatingly. "'What's the price of that dress?' asked Rough and Ready, coming straight to the point. "'That elegant dress,' said the old man, "'cost me a great deal of money. It's very fine.' "'I know all about it,' said the newsboy, "'for I bought it for my sister last week.' "'No, no, you are mistaken, young gentleman,' said the old man hastily, fearing it was about to be reclaimed. "'I've had it in my shop a month.' "'No, you haven't,' said the newsboy bluntly. "'You bought it this morning of a tall man with a red nose.' "'How can you say so, young gentleman?' "'Because it's true. The man took it from my sister and carried it off. How much did you pay for it?' "'I gave two dollars and a half,' said the old man, judging from the newsboy's tone that it was useless to persist in his denial. "'You may have it for three dollars. That's too much. I don't believe you gave more than a dollar. I'll give you a dollar and a half.' The old man tried hard to get more, but as rough and ready was firm, and moreover, as he had only given fifty cents for the dress an hour before, he concluded that he should be doing pretty well in making two hundred percent profit and let it go.' The newsboy at once paid the money and asked if his sister could put it on there. A door in the back part of the shop was opened, revealing an inner room where Rose speedily made the change and emerged into the street with her old dress rolled up in a bundle. Chapter 4. A Fortunate Meeting "'Where are we going, Rufus?' asked Rose as they left the subterranean shop. "'That's what I'm trying to think, Rose,' said her brother, not a little perplexed. To tell the truth, Rough and Ready had acted from impulse and without any well-defined plan in his mind. He had resolved to take Rose from her old home, if it deserved the name, and for reasons which the reader will no doubt pronounce sufficient. But he had not yet had time to consider where they should live in the future. This was a puzzling question. If the newsboy had been a capitalist, or in receipt of a handsome income, the question would have been a very simple one. He would only need to have bought a morning herald, and from the long list of boarding and lodging houses, have selected one which he judged suitable. But his income was small, and he had himself and his sister to provide for. He knew that it must be lonely for Rose to pass the greater part of the day without him, yet it seemed to be necessary, if only there was some suitable person for her to be with. The loss of her mother was a great one to Rose, for it left her almost without a companion. So Rough and Ready knit his brows in perplexing thought. "'I can't tell where we'd better go, Rose, yet,' he said at last. "'We'll have to look around a little, and perhaps we'll come across some good place.' "'I hope it will be some place where father won't find us,' said Rose. "'Don't call him father,' said the newsboy hastily. "'He isn't our father.' "'No,' said Rose. "'I know that. "'That is not our own father.' "'Do you remember our own father, Rose?' "'But of course you don't, for you were only a year old when he died.' "'How old were you, Rufus?' 
I was nine. Tell me about father. Mother used to tell me about him sometimes. He was always kind and good. I remember his pleasant smile whenever he came home. Once he was pretty well off, but he failed in business and had to give up his store, and soon after he died, so that mother was left destitute. Then she married Mr. Martin. What made her? It was for our sake, Rose. She thought he would give us a good home, but you know how it turned out. Sometimes I think mother might have been alive now if she hadn't married him. Oh, I wish she was, said Rose, sighing. Well, Rose, we won't talk any more of Mr. Martin. He hasn't got any more to do with us. He can take care of himself, and we will take care of ourselves. I don't know, Rufie, said the little girl. I'm afraid he'll do us some harm. Don't be afraid, Rose. I ain't afraid of him, and I'll take care he don't touch you. The little girl's apprehensions were not without good reason. They had not done with this man, Martin. He was yet to cause them considerable trouble. What that trouble was will be developed in the course of this story. Our business now is to follow the course of the two orphans. They had reached and crossed the City Hall Park and now stood on the Broadway pavement opposite Murray Street. Are we going to cross Broadway, Rufus? asked his little sister. Yes, Rose. I've been thinking you would feel more comfortable to be as far away from our old room as possible. If we can get a lodging on the west side of Broadway somewhere, we shan't be so apt to meet Mr. Martin. You'd like that better, wouldn't you? Oh, yes, I should like that better. Now we'll cross. Keep firm hold of my hand, Rose, or you'll get run over. During the hours of daylight, except on Sunday, there is hardly a pause in the long line of vehicles of every description that make their way up and down the great central thoroughfare of the city. A quick eye and a quick step are needed to cross in safety, but the practiced newsboy found no difficulty. Dodging this way and that, he led his sister safely across. Let us go up, Broadway Rufus, said the little girl, who, living always in the eastern part of the city, was more used to Chatham Street and the Bowery than the more fashionable Broadway. All right, Rose, we can turn off higher up. So the newsboy walked up Broadway on the west side, his little sister clinging to his arm. Occasionally, though, they didn't know it, glances of interest were directed towards them. The attractive face of little Rose, set off by her neat attire, and the frank, open countenance of our young hero, who looked more manly in his character of guardian to his little sister, made a pleasant impression upon the passers-by, or at least such as could spare a thought from the business cares which are apt to engross the mind to the exclusion of everything. If only I had two such children, thought a childless millionaire as he passed with a hurried step. His coffers were full of gold, but his home was empty of comfort and happiness. He might easily have secured it by diverting a trifle rill from his full stream of riches to the channel of charity, but this never entered his mind. So the children walked up the street, jostled by hurrying multitudes, little Rose gazing with childish interest at the shop windows and the objects they presented. As for Rough and Ready, Broadway was no novelty to him. His busy feet had traversed every portion of the city, or at least the lower part, and he felt at home everywhere. While his sister was gazing at the shop windows, he was engaged in trying to solve the difficult question which was still puzzling him. Where should he find a home for his sister? The solution of the question was nearer than he anticipated. As they passed a large clothing house, the little girl's attention was suddenly attracted to a young woman who came out of the front entrance with a large bundle under her arm. Oh, Miss Manning, she cried joyfully. How do you do? What? Little Rose? exclaimed the seamstress, a cordial smile lighting up her face, pale from confinement and want of exercise. How are you, Miss Manning? said the newsboy in an offhand manner. I am glad to see you, Rufus, said the young woman, shaking hands with him. How you have grown. 
"'Have I?' said Rough and Ready, pleased with what he regarded as a compliment. "'I'm glad I'm getting up in the world that way, if I can't in any other.' "'Do you sell papers now, Rufus?' "'Yes. I expect all the newspaper editors would fail if I didn't help them off with their papers.' "'You are both looking fresh and rosy.' "'Particularly Rose,' said the newsboy, laughing. "'But you are not looking very well, Miss Manning.' "'Oh, I'm pretty well,' said the seamstress. "'But I don't get much chance to get out into the air.' "'You work too hard.' I have to work hard, she replied, smiling faintly. Sewing is not very well paid, and it costs a great deal to live. Where are you living now? We are not living anywhere, said Rose. We are living on Broadway just at present, said Rough and Ready. The seamstress looked from one to the other in surprise, not understanding what they meant. Where is your father now, she asked. I have no father, said the newsboy. Is Mr. Martin dead, then? No, he's alive, but he isn't my father, and I won't own him as such. If you want to know where he is, I will tell you. He's a lying drunk on the floor of a room in Leonard Street, or at least he was half an hour ago. The newsboy spoke with some bitterness, for he never could think with any patience of the man who had embittered the last years of his mother's life, and had that very morning nearly deprived his little sister of the clothing which he had purchased for her. "'Have you left him, then?' asked the seamstress. "'Yes, we have left him, and we do not mean to go near him again.' "'Then you mean to take the whole care of your little sister, Rufus?' "'Yes. "'It is a great responsibility for a boy like you. "'It is what I have been doing all along. "'Mr. Martin hasn't earned his share of the expenses. "'I've had to take care of us both and him too, "'and then he didn't treat us decently. "'I'll tell you what he did this morning.' "'Here he told the story of the manner in which his little sister "'had been robbed of her dress. "'You don't think I'd stand that, Miss Manning, do you?' he said, "'lifting his eyes to hers.' no rufus it seemed hard treatment so you're going to find a home somewhere else yes where do you expect to go well that is what puzzles me said the newsboy i want some place in the west part of the city so as to be out of martin's way where do you live in franklin street not far from the river is it a good place as good as i can expect you know that i am poor as well as you is there any chance for us in the house asked rufus with a sudden idea touching the solution of the problem that had troubled him no there is no room vacant i believe said the seamstress thoughtfully if there were only rose now she added i could take her into the room with me that's just the thing said rufus joyfully rose wouldn't you like to be with miss manning then you would have company every day yes said rose i should like it ever so much but where would you be she asked doubtfully I'll go to the newsboy's lodging house to sleep, but I'll come every afternoon and evening to see you. I'll give Miss Manning so much a week for your share of the expenses, and then I'll feel easy about you. But wouldn't she be a trouble to you, Miss Manning? A trouble, repeated the seamstress. You don't know how much I shall enjoy her company. I get so lonely sometimes. If you'll come with me now, I'll show you my room, and Rose shall find a home at once. Much relieved in mind, rough and ready, with his sister still clinging to his arm, followed the seamstress down Franklin Street towards her home near the river. End of section two. Recording by Tori Falder.